All right. Hope everyone's doing well. Thanks for coming out on this rainy day. And thank you to those of you who are joining on live stream. Um, I apologize that I wasn't able to be with you last Sunday, at least not with you in the flesh. It's good to be back. So as Keith said, this is our third week now in our After Easter series. And uh, this week we're looking at an event post-resurrection that at least in my experience, I haven't heard talked about very much. And it's the ascension, what's known as the ascension. Now, if you were telling somebody about Jesus who had never heard about him before, and you said there was this guy who lived, he was crucified, and, and then he came back from the dead, that person might ask, understandably, okay, well, can we go see him? Can I... Can I go to Jerusalem and shake his hand, the 2,000-year-old man? Can I, can I do that? And you would have to say, well, we can't go and, and visit him somewhere on earth right now because 40 days after he resurrected, he ascended. And if you know the Apostles' Creed, the ancient Apostles' Creed, it emphasizes this detail of the ascension. It says that Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, he descended into heaven. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And from thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. Now we tend to talk a lot about the birth, the death, and the resurrection parts of that creed, right? But we don't talk much about the ascension. And yet we have to talk about it because it's an important part of the story. You know, if we don't talk about it, we're kind of left scratching our heads, asking, why can't we just go and visit the resurrected Jesus right here and now? So, let's look at the passage that best describes, uh, or describes in most detail, the ascension. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to turn to Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 3. And uh, as you make your way there, I will say a prayer for us. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the chance to gather together around your word and around your table. And Lord, we just invite you to meet us today. We invite you to speak to us, Lord. We recognize that you are with us already, and we just pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. After his suffering, Jesus showed himself to the apostles and gave many convincing proofs he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. 
They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. All right, so you might be wondering, is this saying that the resurrected Jesus literally floated off into space? Uh, is this saying that if we had a rocket that was big enough and that had the right coordinates, uh, we could somehow fly to heaven? Uh, probably doesn't surprise you that my answer to that is no. Uh, I, I don't think that's the way we should think about it at all. God's throne does not exist somewhere up in the sky, somewhere off in space. We have to remember that God created the physical realm, which means that God transcends the physical realm. You know, there are some people that don't understand this. There are some people that think, if we can't find God lurking in some corner of the universe, then that must mean that God doesn't exist. Uh, but that is kind of like saying, if when we read Scrooge, uh, if we can't find Charles Dickens in the story, then the author doesn't exist. Okay, there's a fundamental misunderstanding there about what it means for an author to be an author or for a creator to be a creator. If we recognize that the physical world is created by God, then we should also recognize that there is more to reality than what we can see and touch, right? And so when Jesus ascends, he's not just moving upward in physical space. He is ascending to that something more of reality that transcends what we can uh, see and touch and, and experience in this physical realm. One way of thinking about it is that Jesus is moving out of the book and into the position of the author. That's what his ascension is. Okay. Now, that's not to say that the disciples didn't experience that shift as Jesus literally rising up into the air. I mean, that's what the account says, right? He was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Now, maybe that was a normal cloud. You know, maybe he just went up high enough that then a literal cloud blocked him and they couldn't see him anymore. But it's also possible that that word cloud there is a word that represents the presence of God enveloping Jesus. Um, you might be familiar with how a cloud led the Israelites in the wilderness. There's precedent that, for that in scripture, that cloud doesn't always just mean literal cloud, but it means something more than that, uh, the presence of God. Uh, so this may have been a, a similar cloud. Now this is my opinion, for, so you know, take it for what it's worth, uh, but I don't think that Jesus actually needed to float up into the sky in order to ascend to heaven. Uh, I think he did that for the disciples' sake, so that they would understand what was going on, because you know, they thought of heaven as up. And so when Jesus rises up, it makes it very clear to the disciples that what is happening is Jesus is returning to the Father. He is ascending. God tends to speak to us in ways that we can understand. Okay? And so I think that that is what is going on here. But I don't think that Jesus actually needed to do that in order to shift into the heavenly realm. So, why did Jesus return to the Father? Why did he ascend? Why couldn't he just stay here? You know, sometimes I think maybe that would make evangelism easier if I could just say, yeah, there's the 2,000-year-old man in Jerusalem. Go visit him. 
Why? Why would Jesus ascend? Well, part of the key to understanding why is to recognize that that word ascend, it doesn't just mean to go up. In a literal sense, yes, it means to go up, but it means more than that. To ascend has the connotation of coming to power, okay, taking authority, being crowned with glory. When a king comes to power, what we say is that the king ascended to his throne, right? And that's what we should think of when we think of Jesus ascending. Jesus is taking his rightful place as the king of all. That's part of the meaning of that word ascend. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, After making purification for sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's the ascension right there. To sit at the right hand of God means to occupy the highest level of authority possible. That's what that means. So Jesus needed to ascend. He needed to, to take his rightful place of authority because after everything he'd been through, that's what he deserved. Right? After everything he, he went through, it was time for him to take the throne. After coming down from heaven and taking on flesh and, just, and, and overcoming the powers of evil uh, and defeating them, it was time for him to be exalted and to be glorified. Another way of thinking about it is it was time for him to come home. Uh, the Gospel of John tells us that in the beginning, Jesus was with God and he was God. And I know that's very hard for us to wrap our minds around how Jesus could both be with God and be God at the same time. Uh, but that is the mystery that scripture proclaims to us. That's why we believe in this thing called the Trinity, that uh, God is three, an eternal relationship of three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So since the beginning, since the beginning of all things, Jesus has existed in this perfect relationship of love with God the Father and God the, the Spirit. And then Jesus took on a human body, lived a human life full of grace and truth, and through the life, death, and resurrection uh, that he went through, he triumphed over evil, he conquered the, the forces of sin, death, and the devil. And when he had completed his mission, it was time for him to return to the Father. Okay, to return home, to, to return to where he had been since the world began. On the night of Jesus' arrest, uh, when he goes to wash the disciples' feet, uh, the Gospel of John says that Jesus knew he had come from God and that he was returning to God. So the ascension is that return, right? That return to what was in the beginning, the Son and the Father together. Now, so far, everything that I've said, I've realized, it makes the ascension sound really good for Jesus, right? Jesus ascends to the throne, takes his, his authority. Jesus is, goes home to the, that perfect loving relationship with the Father. It all sounds good for Jesus. But what we need to realize is that the ascension is really good for us. That's, that's the thing that's easy to miss. And in fact, Jesus very clearly said that it was very good for us. Uh, if you look at... John 16, verse 7, he says, But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. It is for your good that I am going away. 
If I go away, then the counselor will come to you. The counselor, who is the counselor? The counselor is another name for the third person in the, whole, in, the, um, in the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is saying, if I ascend, if I return to the Father, take my rightful place of authority, take my throne, then you will be able to receive the Holy Spirit. And that is better for you than having me present in my body, walking around on earth. Now, why is it better? Well, it's better because Jesus in a human body can only be in one place at one time, right? He has, he has become fully human. He's taken on a human body, so he can only be in one place at one time. But the Holy Spirit can minister to multiple people all at the same time. The Holy Spirit isn't limited in that way. He can take up residence in each one of our hearts at the same time. And he can encourage us, direct, direct us, guide us, simultaneously. Okay. It occurred to me that one way of thinking about this that might be helpful is to think of Jesus as the member of the Trinity who we could refer to as holy body. Right? Holy body needs to go away in order for Holy Spirit to be unleashed. Now that does still lead us, leave us with that question though, okay, why does holy body need to go away in order for Holy Spirit to come. Why is that? You know, clearly Jesus tells us there's this relationship there, and it's, there are other places in the Bible that support it. Uh, John chapter 7 says, up to that time the Spirit had not been given. Why? Since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Since Jesus had not yet ascended, taken his throne. Okay, so there's this, this relationship. Holy Spirit can't come until Holy, Holy Body leaves. Why is that? Well, I don't think that there is a verse that we can turn to that clearly gives us an answer, um, but I want to tell you how I think about it. So, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we have to recognize what that is. That is a union of God and humanity. Okay? A union of God and humanity. It's, it's a miracle. It's our spirit communing directly with God's spirit. Now, how is that possible? How can that be? It's possible because Jesus has closed the gap between God and humanity. He's closed the gap, right? And think of all the things that he did to do that. He came down from heaven. He, he, he took on human flesh, became united with humanity through the incarnation, right? And then he overcame the forces that separate humanity from God, sin, death, and the devil. But the ascension is like the last piece that closes the gap or, you know, completes the circuit. Because when Jesus goes up to heaven, he doesn't leave his body behind, right? He takes humanity up to the throne with him, right? When Jesus ascends, it's not like his spirit leaves his body and then his body just falls to the ground, right? Jesus takes the humanity that he's united himself to up to the throne, so the ascension means now a human body is sitting at the right hand of God, at the highest place of authority. We have a, rep a representative sitting on the throne of God. And, and that's why it's possible for humans like us to experience the union with God that comes through the Holy Spirit, right? Because the gap has been closed. But the gap's not closed until the ascension happens. So that's how I think about it. And I realize that can be confusing. Um, 
One analogy that I like to give that I find helpful is to think of humanity like a sports team. We are the humans, the third rock from the sun, humans. We have a terrible record. We lose all the time to the forces of sin, death, and the devil. But through Jesus, God joins our team. God joins our team. And then he is able to defeat the forces that are always defeating us. And then Jesus, one of our teammates, ascends to heaven, to the highest position of authority, next to God the Father. And that means that someone on our team is now in that position. And that's why we're now able to experience this union and intimacy with God, right? Because our team is on the throne. All right, so hopefully that makes sense. Uh, let's, let's shift gears now. Why does this matter? Okay, why is it important to know about the ascension? How can this help us in our lives right now? A couple reasons. Number one, because when we remember the ascension, we recognize that Jesus is king and he is ultimately in charge. When we recognize the ascension, we recognize Jesus is king and he is ultimately in charge. When you think about the future, who or what do you think has the most control over the future? Fate? Chance? Aliens? The Illuminati? Government? You? What do you think? The ascension tells us the one who holds the future is Jesus. He's the one at the right hand of the Father. He is the one in that position of supreme authority. Now, I want to be clear about something. Just because that is true does not mean that everything that happens on earth right now is what Jesus wants. Okay, we still live in a time where it is possible to sin, and sin, by definition, is what Jesus does not want. Okay. So, we know that even though Jesus is on the throne, right now he exercises his authority in such a way that he doesn't just turn everybody into puppets. Right? Okay, he allows people to make decisions that are often not good decisions, but the fact that he is on the throne tells us that he is still going to guide history toward his desired ends, okay, despite the bad decisions that we make. One way that I find helpful to think about it is that it's kind of like Jesus is playing a game of chess with the world. And, uh, you know, we might not know how all the pieces are going to move on the board exactly, but we have assurance that because Jesus is on the throne, Jesus will checkmate the world. Okay, that is, that is inevitable. No one has more power than he does. So you can see how if we recognize the significance of the ascension, then that should be a source of comfort and peace for us. Right? Because the one who suffered and died on a cross for us is the true king of all. He is the one that holds the future. He is the one who has the most power. Second reason the ascension matters for us right now, and this follows from that first reason, is because when we remember the ascension, it empowers us. Or at least it should empower us. If we recognize that Jesus is truly in charge, then we can live life now with courage and purpose. There's an incredible example of this in the book of Acts. 
one of the early followers of Jesus is a man named Stephen. And Stephen is described as being full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. He's going around talking about how Jesus is risen, preaching the good news. Uh, his preaching is accompanied by miraculous signs. And this makes the Jewish religious authorities really uncomfortable. And so he's called in for questioning before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Judicial Council, just like Jesus was called in before the Sanhedrin. And when he's questioned, he actually ends up just kind of preaching at them. And he gives a Cliff Notes version of the Bible uh, where he describes how there's been this, this problem throughout Israel's history where certain people persecute the prophets that God sends. And then he basically says, you guys are like the people who are doing that now. You know, you murdered the righteous one. You crucified Jesus. And as you can imagine, the Sanhedrin doesn't take that very well. Uh, we can read what happens in Acts chapter 7. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. It's an important detail because, of course, Saul is the Apostle Paul. Um, so here he seems okay with everybody stoning a follower of Jesus, uh, but we know he's going to undergo an incredible transformation later. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep, which is a nice way of saying, and then he died. So Stephen was the first martyr. He was the first person to be killed for his Christian faith. Now, how did Stephen have such an incredible combination of courage and mercy? Right? He was courageous enough that he was willing to proclaim truth that could get him killed, and that did get him killed. But he was also merciful enough that when he was being killed, he was praying for those who were killing him. How is that possible? The reason is because Stephen knew that Jesus is king. Right? He knew it. He had this powerful vision of it right before he died, right? He saw heaven open, saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He saw the ascension, the reality that Jesus is king. That's where he found the strength to do that. That's how he was able to have peace when he was being stoned to death. That's how he was able to pray for his murderers. Until we recognize that Jesus is on the throne... Until we do that, people like Stephen are just going to seem crazy to us. You know, as long as we think that there's someone else that holds the future other than Jesus, we're never going to be able to have that kind of courage or that kind of mercy. Okay, but when we really believe the ascension, that should empower us. Because one, we recognize that Jesus is on the throne. And, and two, we recognize that the one on the throne is the one who, when he was being crucified, prayed for those that were killing him. Incredible courage, incredible mercy.
and we believe the ascension, it empowers us. That's what the angel tried to tell the disciples right after the ascension happened. You might have noticed that. You know, when Jesus ascended, it said that the disciples were just standing there looking up at the sky. And then the angel came and, and gave them a gentle rebuke. Right? The angel said, why, why are you standing here looking up into the sky? In other words, if you guys really understood the significance of what just happened, you wouldn't just be standing around. Right? You'd be getting moving. You'd be following the king's orders. Right? Jesus said to go and wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit, so go and wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. Don't just stand here. Jesus is reigning from heaven, so live like it. Get moving. So the angel is saying there should be this connection between Jesus' ascension and you being empowered, you getting moving. And then finally, the ascension matters because it reminds us that we have access to the Holy Spirit. We have access to the counselor, right? Jesus said, if I go away, then the counselor will come, which means the counselor is here. The counselor is available to us. We just have to be open to him working in our lives. And believe it or not, that counselor is better for us than having Jesus physically present somewhere on earth right now. Now, a lot could be said about the Holy Spirit, and we don't have enough time to do that this morning. Uh, so we're going to save that for the future, because the next after Easter event that's coming is Pentecost. And that's all about the Holy Spirit. So if you want to know more, stay tuned. We're going to talk about him soon. Let me close with one more thing I'd like us to think about this week. There is actually a verse in the Bible that specifically tells us to remember the ascension. And I've read this verse multiple times in the past, but it wasn't until this week that I realized, oh, that's really what it's telling us to do, is to, to remember the ascension. It's Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. And it says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Right, so Paul says, set your hearts on things above. Now what does that mean? You know, does it mean think about the pearly gates and the streets lined with gold? Well, not, that's not really what Paul's focused on here. Set your mind on things above. What's above? Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And so what Paul is saying is set your, your, your hearts on the ascension, this idea that Christ is reigning, that right now the reality is he is on the throne and he is in charge and he holds the future. That's what it means to set your your heart's on things above. Now, what's very interesting to me is why Paul tells us to do this. But the essence of his answer is because your life is now hidden with Christ and God. What does that mean? Your life is now hidden with Christ and God. It might be a good line to meditate on this week. You know, just turn that over in your brain. My life is now hidden with Christ and God. What I hear Paul saying there is, your life is safe. Your life is secure. 
Because no matter what happens in this world, no matter how bad things get, the reality is that if you have put your faith in Christ, then you are bonded to him. Because you belong to the king of the universe, the one who is reigning on the throne, right? His life has become your life. You're safe. So you can have courage. You can be merciful. If you set your heart and your mind on earthly things, you are always going to feel secure. Or, sorry, insecure. <laughs> you are always going to feel insecure. You're never going to feel safe. But if you set your mind on things above, on the heavenly reality that transcends this physical one, the heavenly reality that Jesus is king, that he is on the throne, then you will find refuge for your soul. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. My life is hidden with Christ in God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit, the Counselor, would impress that reality on our hearts this, this week. That our, our lives are hidden with Christ in you. That we are safe, that we are secure through Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would give us a, a glimpse of this same vision that Stephen had of Christ on the throne. At the, at the right hand of your right hand, Lord. I pray that you would fill us with with that vision, Lord. And I pray that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord. We, we thank you that you have closed the gap between, between us and you. We thank you that we have access to your Spirit, your presence in our lives. Lord, we, we invite you to work in us. And Lord, as we remember the ascension, Lord, we pray that we would be people who live as if you are a king here and now because you are king. And we pray that as we embody uh, your, your rule, your way in the world, that people would be drawn to your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.